0: Hello, my friends. Today's report is from the Swiss Alps, but I'm not here on a winter vacation. I am here because the World Economic Forum is meeting, and we are doing our best to interview the VVIPs on the street. You absolutely have to get the video version of this podcast. I mean, sure, you'll enjoy listening to it, but you got to see it. You got to see how they run. When we ask some questions, go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, I'm in the belly of the beast of the World Economic Forum. It's January 16th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Oh, hi there. It's pretty frosty out. It's almost sunset. I'm in a ski town called Davos, but I didn't come here to sled. I came here to slay along with my fellow citizen journalists. We are here hunting, not for VIPs, but for VVIPs, the masters of the universe, if they do say so themselves, the condescending fancy pants, the oligarchs who rule over us without having to go through the bother of winning our support in elections. That's the thing about Davos and the World Economic Forum. There are some extremely powerful people here. I will say there are some important people here. By that I mean they control much of our lives. For example, BlackRock, which has more than 10 $10 trillion dollars of assets under management they have a shape they have an effect on your life Um, there are many politicians here retired and active There are diplomats lobbyists everyone here with a scheme or a scam there's money in the streets but mainly there's power and normally power is checked we believe in checks and balances we believe in An official opposition. We believe in a media that can scrutinize and criticize. We believe in access to information. We believe in, for example, registries of foreign lobbyists. But none of those things here are in the World Economic Forum. In fact, that's their selling point. The World Economic Forum is an alternative crypto government where powerful people come knowing that pay to play is okay that what would be called a bribe back in Canada or the UK or the United States is called, I don't know, a sponsorship fee here. That applies to the journalists too, by the way. Uh, I say that there are very few citizen journalists like ourselves here, and it's true. There's six of us from Rebel News, there's three of our friends from True North, and there's a handful of others, maybe, maybe 15 altogether, But there are literally hundreds of other journalists here, but they are not here in their capacity as journalists. They're here as insiders. They're here as people who paid a sponsorship fee to Klaus Schwab, the owner and founder of the World Economic Forum. And so they get to sit on the stage. They get one of these kiosks, these pavilions along the promenade in the city. So if you paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a seat at the table as a journalist, I can guarantee that you're not gonna be asking critical questions. You're gonna be in stenography mode. In fact, there's a little bit of tension between the citizen journalists of Rebel News and the official regime journalists. Few reasons for that, we ask prickly questions of their guests that they would never. And I think there's a tiny bit of jealousy that we're allowed to be free and they're not. Plus, it's fun to be in the streets, but it's something I've said about Canada too. People say, why was David Menzies scrumming Chrystia Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, on the street? Why did he have to do that? Well, the answer is because Chrystia Freeland and the Liberal government has banned us from attending press conferences. I believe that's illegal, by the way. Same thing here. I wrote to the World Economic Forum months ago. I said, look, we're coming and we're going to do our stories. And, you know, obviously we're critics. But why don't you at least talk to us, allow us to come into some of the meetings, give us more information, be part of our stories. It couldn't hurt. Well, they had nothing, they had uh, none of it, and we are on the streets. But I put it to you, we've done some better journalism on the streets than the shills and the stenographers who paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be here. It's very interesting, and for the rest of the show, I want to give you a few snippets of what the last couple of days has been like. You never know who you're going to meet. And by the way, not everyone who you meet is hostile. Not everyone who you meet is part of the inner sanctum. Um, We met a gentleman earlier who we saw last year who was fighting against child labor, and he points out that Canadian companies use child labor. I like a guy like that, but like us, he's a rebel. He's on the outside. Here's just a minute of our friend Fernando.
1: Hi, how are you? See you again. Thank you. Yeah, nice to see you. I remember we had a great chat last year. Did you see the videos we made? You made a lot of noise. Very good. But you know, 53 years after the WEF was founded, they have 75 million children working in their supply chains. This is absolutely unacceptable. And we have high officials from the government of Canada, like the deputy prime minister, Christian Freeland, who's a member of the the board of the World Economic Forum. And this is something important.
0: You know, this is Fernando Morales de la Cruz, who we met exactly a year ago when we were doing the same walk, and you introduced yourself to us and you had riveting and terrifying and heartbreaking stories about child trafficking and i thought this is the right place to be because a lot of the people here are complicit well
1: they are profiting from the exploitation of 75 million children in their supply chains and i'm actually being conservative in the figure the problem is that many of these companies have business models that have actually increased misery hunger malnutrition and child labor and some of these companies are even canadian and of course we have the ontario teachers pension plan which is a shareholder in Barry Callebaut, the largest cocoa processing company. And they are profiting also from child labor by investing in such a company. And I'm sure the Ontario teachers are honest people, but the Ontario teachers' pension plan should
0: not be doing these kind of investments. Yeah. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to see you here again. And, and you're proof that not every... Uh, there are people here who come to speak truth to power. And i put you in that category. Yeah, I'm outside of the weapon. Yeah, us too. So it was nice to see him in, here. But like I say, most people here are here to suck up to power, not speak truth to power. But let me show you a few snippets from various interviews that we've done today and other videos. But I, I don't want to play them all in full because we have done so much work, it simply wouldn't be enough time. So I'll show you excerpts of some videos, but I want you to see it in full because this is actually our largest journalistic project of the year as you know sometimes we go on little missions little journeys i think for example of when i went for two days to cover the riots in Marseille, france okay that was interesting it was a couple of days and actually we were able to do it quite economically but this visit to davos we're here for a full week And there's half a dozen of us, and we had to spend a lot of money because the World Economic Forum buys up every hotel room and Airbnb within a large radius of Davos. We're not staying in Davos. we got to get on a train and go to the next town over um, or a a car. We we rented a car because we wanted to go to the private jet airport to watch the fancy pants come in. So being here is difficult, and I think it's difficult on purpose. I mean, being high here in the mountains... um, you know Klaus Schwab the founder of the World Economic Forum he comes across as a bond supervillain he's got the german accent which just you know just perfects the bond supervillain look but it is a historical fact that his father actually was a nazi industrialist his father moved to germany right before the war to ser- to run a factory for hitler uh, I don't know, maybe that's why Christia Freeland is on the board of the World Economic Forum. She has that in common uh, with uh, Klaus Schwab, her own grandfather, of course, being a Nazi as well. So it's difficult to get here, which I think lets the folks who are here let their hair down. The oligarchs, the billionaires, the masters of the universe, they feel like they're amongst friends. They feel like they're far away from Washington DC or Ottawa or London where there's snooping media. The only media allowed in Are on the payroll essentially so when you approach them on the street maybe they're more chatty than they normally were or certainly they just don't have a large entourage of bodyguards so let me show you a few things I want to start with a clip from my visit to the local private jet airport where I chatted with one worker there who says 150 flights per day private jets coming in so many that they don't have room to park them so the jets come in disgorge their vvips and then the jets take off and go fly elsewhere to wait And then the jets come back to pick up their VVIPs and fly out. That sounds astonishing, but it makes sense because there's not room for 150 jets. Here's a little bit of what we saw at the airport. There's planes coming and going literally every 10 minutes. I just heard the sound of a jet behind me. It's fascinating. One of the things about planes that I didn't know is that you can look up their number on the tail, search out the details, for example, what kind of aircraft it is and who owns it. And there's even an app where you can track, you can track jets as they come and go. This is a fairly small airstrip. It's a private airstrip. I think it's used for commercial business. There's some industry in the area and for people flying in to go skiing in the Alps. But this one week of the World Economic Forum is the busiest week by far for this little airstrip. And you see massive jets that you wouldn't normally see. It's so busy. It's such an important part of their business that the website of the airport has its own special menu bar just for the World Economic Forum. You could read it yourself. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars from the fees of these planes landing and getting fueled and staying in hangars. But like I say, this is a fairly small airfield. There's not enough room. So the jets sometimes fly elsewhere to park elsewhere. We followed one plane that took off from London, landed here. It was an enormous plane, a a Bombardier 6500. I Googled it. Those things retail for about $50 million US. And they cost tens of thousands of dollars per hour to fly with that high carbon jet fuel. We watched that aircraft land And I was ready for a huge entourage to get off the plane. There were only three people on the plane. Sorry, it's a little noisy. Another aircraft is pulling up right now. I love the fact that the name of this private jet airport is the People's Airport. It reminds me of what we saw in Davos the other day about the Equality Lounge. There's something wonderful about JP Morgan and McKinsey and the world's billionaires having an Equality Lounge. And there's something very Orwellian about this people's airport. Another private jet landing there, another one getting ready to take off there. These are the people telling you to reduce your carbon. I thought that was very interesting, and it certainly puts a lie to the climate agenda of the World Economic Forum, but you gotta remember, they do believe in reducing emissions, they actually do. They just believe in reducing your emissions, not theirs. Uh, they believe that you will eat the bugs, not them. I've spent some time in Davos and the neighboring town of closters I haven't found any place that's serving bugs. They want you to eat bugs, but they'll have the finest meals available. Um, let me show you another video. I actually, um, there's a real Ukraine presence here, not surprisingly. Uh, there was last year as well. I... Um, I want to show you two things about Ukraine. The first is I visited the uh, Ukrainian pavilion, which had a very different tone to it this year than last year. Last year, you might recall, they were talking about prosecuting Vladimir Putin for war crimes, seizing Russian assets, and using it in reparations. Here's just a flashback to my visit a year ago. I want to take you through this facility. I didn't go to every nook and cranny of it. but. The main floor is a kind of museum that, frankly, reminded me a little bit of the Holocaust Museum in that it was documenting uh, death and destruction and injury to civilians. And they use the language of war crimes. And
2: um, they certainly use uh, dramatic footage, both video footage and photography. War crimes are happening across the territory, uh, across the occupied territories. Uh, in Ukraine, and this is one part of the exhibition, which is upstairs, where we again have to focus on the war crimes that have not stopped. Uh, Is it one of the goals of this installation to get war
0: crimes prosecutions of Russia?
2: It's absolutely essential that justice will be brought against those who committed the atrocities. So, yes, one wants to have justice. and. It's not the goal of the installation. The goal of the installation is to create awareness, to create emotions. Um, But I hope part of the discussions that we're holding uh, around this installation is really focused on how to get uh, Russian war criminals to justice.
0: This year, it was very different. There was an emphasis on the atrocities and the damage done to civilians. It was heartbreaking to visit them. And they had a whole art exhibit about what they call stolen children. Here's just a quick snippet of that when I talked to the curator of the exhibit. You're the curator for this very powerful exhibition. I'd like to ask you some questions because I don't understand the story behind it. Can
2: you please tell me who had these children? How were they selected for deportations? how not it happen so all of the children you see here are ukrainian children who have been deported by russians who have been brought to hams um, and who have been returned to ukraine because their parents or their legal guardians at personal risk went into russia to bring them back with documents arguing to the people who are in the cab that this is their child that the child should be given back to them and like this, they were brought back to Ukraine.
0: So, how were these children physically taken if they had parents? How were they, how they swept off?
2: Well, the stories of each child are different. Many of the children were brought to, you know, holiday camps, as they called it, and were never returned.
0: Some critics say that these people are ethnically Russian or that they affiliate with Russia as opposed to Ukraine. Is that incorrect? Completely. What would you say to, uh, to those who,
3: who, well, help me understand that. Help me, help me um, swear in the circle. How would, just try to understand who they are and how it happens.
2: I, I mean, I, I'm at a loss. Well, Russians have a genocide and intent in Ukraine. One of the ways to destroy Ukraine is to steal the children. It's according to the Geneva Convention one of the acts of genocide that is exactly what they have been doing we have reported facts of thousands of children we don't know about many mothers because there's not always acts there's testimonies, there's witness statements, there's children themselves who tell the stories how they do it, that's a different question the fact that they take them away from their parents, they've taken them away from their homes and bring them to right to reeducate. I think the most
0: telling thing was the name of the panel discussion. We didn't have time to stick around to watch it. It was something that would have been unthinkable for the pavilion a year ago. What happens if Ukraine loses the war? And I think that the global opinion has shifted. Some of the enthusiastic support for the world econo- from the World Economic Forum. Uh, elites and other countries for the Ukraine war has dissipated for whatever reason, economic reason or public support. So I think that the mood is changing and... um I don't know, I I just, it's painful to think of how many people died, both civilian and military, and what's happened to their country. So there was a lot of Ukraine stuff, but of course there are people here from every background. Um, It's hard to spot them in the wild, because as you can see behind me, people walk by, and they're maybe wearing a name tag, but unless someone is very visible and identifiable, you're not going to be, I mean, John Kerry, someone that everyone would know what he looks like, I think. I would recognize certain uh, executives, like last year, I I, I did identify Albert Bourla, one of our teammates spotted him, but I, I knew what he looked like is what I mean. But for example, the head of State Street, which is like BlackRock, a super huge um, asset management company, I didn't know who he was, uh, other than the fact that one of our teams spotted his name tag. Here's me attempting to talk to the CEO of State Street about what's called ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance. That's basically uh, cultural Marxism forced into companies through these big investment funds. It wasn't a very successful interview, but I want to show it to you nonetheless. Take a look. Can I ask you a little bit about uh, State Street and ESG? Are you pulling back from it the same way BlackRock is? No. and why don't we just set this up formally but no we're not what pulling back you, from it. well what about uh, critics like Elon Musk who say it's a kind of reverse racism Elon's got his opinion what about shareholders who say you're putting other goals ahead of your fiduciary duties you're putting cultural Marxism or affirmative action those may be political values but they're not designed to get a maximum rate of return if there's uh, that are doing that I don't know that that's not how we do it we have one focus which is shareholder value period well then how you just told me though you're sticking with ESG we stick with value it's about value not values can I ask you about state governments that are pulling their funds out of ESG firms like the state of Florida for example or they do are you worried that the state Street will be hit by divestment from companies that are rejecting ESG so we only focus on creating value for our shareholders, and if you look at our track record, that's all that we've ever done. And what we focus on is what's, what do long-term investors need to be thinking about? What are the kinds of risks they need to be thinking about? And they need to make the decision. And that's what we've always done. What were your goals? Here? What were your goals here? Okay. I see you're walking i i I propose to walk with you i um i'd like to ask what your goals are here today what were your goals here at the world economic forum that's not a tough question i'm just curious what your goals are Well, why won't you answer that that's not a gotcha look what what are your goals here at the world economic forum okay i mean is, is there something you'd like to say? I mean, that's not a trick or a trap. It's just curious what your goals are at the World Economic Forum. Some people criticize it for being not transparent. For example, there's lobbying going on that's not registered, there's foreign agents. Is that why you're here? Did you have any meetings with politicians that that you're not going to register like have you had any meetings with politicians for example from ukraine about rebuilding ukraine after the war do you think it's a good look for state street not to ask and not to answer even basic questions Are you worried about misinformation and disinformation? That's been a big uh, focus of the World Economic Forum this year. Do you agree with that? You might recall last year, the highlight of our trip was scrumming Albert Bourla. Here's just a taste of that to remind you. Mr. Bourla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. Answer that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission. But why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans, stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds
1: back to the com- countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective
0: vaccine? Yeah,
3: you have a little
1: bit
0: of Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? I think Albert Bourla won't make the mistake again of walking in the streets unattended. He'll probably, if he's, a, if he's here at all, he'll probably be in one of those VIP vans with the darkened windows. But we did bump into an executive from AstraZeneca, whose first instinct was to run and hide in a building. We waited, and he came out later with a few talking points. You tell me how you think this went. Can I ask you a couple questions on how AstraZeneca's planning for the disease X? Do you have any comments about the coming infection X that they're talking about here? How come you guys are running away, David?
4: get
0: out of the street. Okay. I got some questions about AstraZeneca. Yeah, I'd love to and thank right. you for doing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I want to ask you about AstraZeneca because you've been in the news a lot. And and I want to say first of all, what lessons do you think AstraZeneca has learned from uh, from COVID-19? Do you think you did anything wrong?
4: Well, I think that the biggest uh, lessons that were learned is that public private partnerships have really been Uh, brought to the fore as a way that progress can be made.
0: So you're saying the vaccine mandates, is that what you mean?
4: Oh no, I'm actually really talking more instead about the global effort that was made by the uh, entire sector to be able to address the pandemic.
0: Well, that's one thing and I have no problem with that, but what about the forcible nature that so many people were forced to take the jab or lose their job?
4: Oh, well, what I'd like to actually uh, just say within this is that uh, uh, we're certainly proud of the efforts that collectively that the healthcare sector made.
0: Right, and I know that, and And, I'm not disputing that. But
4: I think that if you'd like to discuss any of this further, that you can certainly be in contact with our uh, media relations group, and they'd be happy to get in touch with you on it, okay?
0: I don't think they would be happy to get in touch with me, because they, just like you're not answering. Well, let's walk into, I'm walking with you, I'm not slowing you down. All right. How do you feel about vaccine mandates? Do you think they're a legitimate public policy solution?
4: Well, we certainly know from a lot of the evidence that vaccines across a number of different disease areas have made an impact on public health.
0: And, and I'm not disputing that, I'm asking you about the forcible nature, that if people didn't, if they weren't forced to take your medicine against their will, they'd
4: be fired. I need to go on this, but what I would say is is that all of this comes down to local decisions that are made by countries. And local decisions?
0: Stuck-less. I think you profited by it. Anyways, I don't want to show you all the videos we did because there's just not enough time. Can I invite you to go to our special website, wefreports.com? That's where we're going to put all of them. And it's not just me, of course. It's Avi, and we've got a team of videographers and other here. So uh, uh, we're going to have new uploads every day. And I'm I'm excited about what we're doing here. I see that we've inspired other citizen journalists. Uh, I've met several people. There was a fellow from Portugal. There were people stopping us on the street. In fact, when Avi landed at the airport, Customs, the person at Customs recognized him. Rebel News is showing what citizen journalism really can be and it's pretty fun there's a fellow here from germany i mean there are rebellious people around the world who um, who are inspired by what we're doing here and i think it's caused the world economic forum to change for example they don't publish their full guest list anymore they don't want us to get a jump On who's here but let me close with a snippet of a video that you can see in full on the WF reports website I bumped into Mark Carney the former governor of the Bank of Canada who then went on to become the boss of the Bank of England and now he works for the United Nations pushing global warming and his name is frequently touted as a successor to Justin Trudeau for the leader of the Liberal Party and presumably for Prime Minister it's basically Mark Carney and Christian Freeland, I would say, are the two leading candidates. Um, I'd never talked to Mark Carney before in my life, never interacted with him at all. My colleague Avi Amini had. I saw him talking to Mark Carney and I sort of jumped in as a tag team. Uh, I'll show you some of that, not all of it, because I want you to see the whole thing for yourself at wefreports.com. But here's a taste of Mark Carney, and let me say, he's good. He took a scrappy, hostile situation and turned it around, by not being defensive, by not being mean, by not being condescending. I gotta say, he's smarter than Justin Trudeau. He's a lot more socially normal than the very awkward and twitchy Christian Freeland. I think he's got some of that foreign fancy-pants vibe that undid Michael Ignatieff. I don't know how he'll do against Pierre Polyev's populism, but I gotta say, if Mark Carney becomes the Liberal Party candidate, he's gonna be a tough contender. Take a look at how he handled me and Avi Let me ask. You, let me ask you something, sir.
1: Um, Justin Trudeau is struggling in the polls. There. Um, what would your What would your, I guess, advice be to Trudeau? Because you've got an election coming, at least in the next couple of years. Um. It's good of you. you follow Canadian politics, uh, What, what no,
5: seriously? What would you What would you advise Justin? Uh, I'm the one asking Canada. questions, sir. What is, are there He's rules in the, rules in What, where are they now?
3: Queen Hansley senior at the theater. Seriously, he needs help from his down to He has a gender gap. Women are choosing the two more in the middle. I don't remember the last time they happened. What? Advice to the Ableton of Sulean? The, uh, it's going to a simple anchor for a Good. Come on, we know
5: that you're in the line, uh, you know, for I the succession. The other day with, not, oh, I remember Sir Dean
3: was that for her? Uh, I see the crime hey, what's It about sitting okay, here. Uh, I well, uh, I do a lot of work to if you feeling So did you ever register as a lobbyist or is it just friendship? Sorry, I don't. When you meet oh. the when you meet with the PM on climate, are you there on your own behalf or are you there on behalf of a? Well, I, do not. I uh, am mm-hmm. the UN special envoy on. I wouldn't make it so pretty cold in that in Canada down the minus one. Yeah, and back on the And head of foot. And Gilberto is saying go to electric cars. So I work in for a week. Well, you've got to have, watch out, you've got to have the full, uh, you've got to have full capacity. That's and true. you've got to have, uh, you, you've got to, you, one of the things we're going to need to do uh, in Canada, across Canada, um, it is, you know, for the benefit of droughts and I can't see is build out the grid and stretch. You build it out. Number two, one of the things you need, regardless of the form of energy used, that uh we had, is um, is also to have what fell a capacity market alongside uh, the electricity bar So you think that you both plan is a little bit hasty since we haven't done the foundational thing. Well, I think what's important is that you know, whether it's. Uh, In Alberta, uh, Canada, Canada and it's uh it's a time building look we're in a position uh where we have down the a condition where we have it in we you've already uh, you've always had um, uh, do you feel in the, to develop new solutions to this But the PM saying yeah, there see was see no the market one. for natural gas? How do you feel about the natural gas, especially to relieve Ukraine from other agencies from Russian gas? How can they have buying Russian gas to Tartari gas? But Justin Trudeau let them ball in a Well, we would have to get uh, to those the Ukrainian, and what it should give it was uh, called LAD to get the gas in what
1: I'm not sure you and I'm and can, do my
0: best to be Well,
1: prepared. if this was uh, <laughs> if this if this was uh, if this was Canada, you could have him arrested. Uh, your you your colleague, that? you're right, Wolf, Have you seen that? Had one of our reporters arrested?
3: well I don't think she did. I think she uh, word against yeah. it. If if, if, if if the police tried to arrest me, would you? One thing I think was absolutely good. Well, thank you for showing that. I, look, freedom of The press. I look. I've. Uh, what friends so, already? I've been a public figure in Canada than a public figure in the UK. I know you got to answer top questions. Have you guys, you know, you asked have... Well, I want to say saying that because I have to say, Mr. Peel has not yet said anything in the, in the same that you have. She's been happy to let the cops do her work for it. And if she disagrees with the cops, she hasn't said so. Well, I've, I've so said what I said. But look, the questions you were asking earlier about uh, energy, and I'm going to have to. I, the to get... Tom, I
0: really yeah. appreciate the work. Well, that's my show for today. I tell you, we're having a great time out here, but uh, it's hard work. We get up very early, we, we take the train to Davos. We're outside, it's quite cold. We're wearing gloves and boots. I got three layers on underneath it, but we love it. And it's 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 adrenalizing. I feel um, I feel like we're hunting uh, for supervillains. but occasionally we get, you know, there's some good guys. I, I want to show you that, for example. Let me leave on this note. Um, Senator Coons, a Democrat from the United States, I'm really not that familiar with him, but we spotted him and I had some questions for him. Uh, at first, he didn't want to talk to me at all. He stonewalled me and his staff actually sort of tried to block me, but when he realized I was persistent, he said, yeah, why am I being so funny about this? Let me just talk to this guy. And I have to say, his answers were good. And my respect for him rose. And he's a Democrat. He watched my walk and talk with Senator Coons. Senator,
3: what were we make to the Iowa caucus since yesterday? What do you think of the result? Who is Sorry, I'm sorry. i Senator, no. not Can be the profan- Not. But, Senator, please? I mean, sure. I don't know who you think you are. I'm, I'm allowed to ask questions and, and switch to them. Senator, what Jimmy Carr's is Trump's winland?
5: Democratic crosses. Glad to see that it went off well and it was free and fair, Caucus and important first step in our primary press.
3: Do you think this is good news for the Democrats?
5: Look, I think we're gonna have a robust and open election process this year, and I look forward to President Biden being reelected.
0: What do you think of the possible third party candidacy of
3: RFK, Jr.? He seems to be drawing infarcts from President Biden's support.
5: I'm not sure that polling shows that. Um, Look, there's a half dozen third-party candidates. There are in every cycle. Sometimes they have an impact, sometimes they don't.
3: Could I ask you what
5: your goals are here at Zabel? Uh, I'm part of a bipartisan delegation that has, you know, I just met with uh, two different foreign ministers about the hostages of Gaza, about the Ukraine war. I just met with uh, President Zelensky. do you have any news that you're able to report about your meeting with President Zelensky? It's a very positive conversation about um, the determination of many of us uh, in the Senate of both parties wait, to continue support Hold for Ukraine.
3: Very kind, thank you. As for me, how worried are you about misinformation and disinformation? I understand. It's a very significant trial. But how both. how do we deal with it without engaging in censorship?
5: It's a balance we have to strike. Free and open societies with wired access to information professional I And mean, that is old, but uh, we also need it as communities and stitchers to be um, discerning about the information that they consume. Well, uh, this is a challenge globally.
3: One of the criticisms of Davos is that there's not a lot of transparency. That There's meetings that aren't disclosed. Lots of lobbying behind the scenes that's not tracked. Do you have any response to that? Um,
5: I publish um, reports on the meetings I have, and who I talk to, but, um, but I also think that it's, look, many different people come here from around the world for different purposes. Senator Rounds and I came here briefly in two days uh, for a fairly simple purpose, which was to show continued strong bipartisan support uh, for the fight of Ukraine against Russia. But
3: what do you think of the South, South, African, South African prosecution at the Israel Court?
5: I haven't looked into the details, um, but uh, I, excuse I really a fall. I'd rather not be trying to pay attention to you. Okay, pay, Senator, not break my wrist. Senator, I did for the South African ministry yesterday, um, and it's worth continuing to pay attention to. But let's not
0: freak client. So, look, we do real interviews. I suppose our interview with Mark Carney was a real interview, too. I guess we're just so used to the uh, um, antagonistic style because we deal with politicians who more and more simply refuse to answer questions. And I think that's a problem of politicians. If you are in public life, answer questions from the people you seek to rule. And that's the quirky thing. The World Economic Forum, they were never elected by anyone. And by nature, they don't believe to talk... Uh, believe in talking to the rabble. Well, we'll keep at it until tomorrow on behalf of all of us around the world and here in the Swiss Alps to you at home. Good night and keep fighting for freedom.